Good morning, EPC Church family. Thank you so much for joining us here for church this morning. We just have a few quick updates for you guys before we get into it this morning. And the first of which is there's many different ways to connect with our church throughout your week. The first of which is our Facebook pages. We have EPC Kids, EPC Student Ministry, and Evangel Pentecostal Church. That is our main Facebook page. And you, connect, you can connect with those throughout your week to see all of the updates that are coming up. We're also on Instagram at EPC Oakville. You can, can connect with us that way depending on which platform you prefer to use. Also, throughout your weeks, don't forget that you can send us your prayer requests so that we as a staff, as a church, can pray for you and for your family during this time. That's all for now. Have an awesome rest of your Sunday. God bless. Hello, everyone. We're so excited to be able to meet with you in person for services in our building. In order for us to meet together in person at capacity, we wanted to let you know what you can expect during a worship service and what we are doing to keep you safe. So check out this short video to find out more. Please plan on arriving by 9.30 a.m. to facilitate entrance into the building while allowing for physical distancing. As soon as you've parked your car, you can make your way to the main entrance. Please use the right side door of the main entrance as this will be the only entrance into the building. Also, if necessary, please line up according to the marked lines to keep a safe distance between families. Masks are required to enter the building and you must be pre-registered, either online or by phoning the church office. Each week, registration will open on Monday and remain open until Friday at noon. As soon as you enter the building, you will be greeted by a volunteer. Please give your name to them so that you can be matched with the registration list and be checked off for the purpose of contact tracing. If you have not pre-registered, unfortunately, you will not be able to attend the service. You will see signs that ask you to not attend if you have any symptoms of COVID-19, have been around anyone with COVID-19, or have traveled outside of the country in the last 14 days. There will be a hand sanitization station located in the entrance area, so please avail of that and then follow the arrows to the check-in desk where a volunteer will provide you with information regarding your pre-assigned seating location. Then you will enter the sanctuary through the far right side doors by the washrooms. This will be the only entrance into the sanctuary. Unfortunately, visiting in the foyer is not allowed. We would also ask that you refrain from all handshaking, fist bumping, or hugs. Because we are limited in our capacity and to ensure physical distancing, as soon as you enter the sanctuary, you will notice that we have removed a lot of our chairs. By the time you arrive, we will have moved the necessary amount of chairs into groupings to accommodate the number of people from your household that you have registered. Please give your name and assigned section to one of the volunteers who will guide you to your assigned seat. Your seats will be marked with your names. Please do not change seats. You will also notice that we removed everything from the seat backs for sanitary reasons. When it comes to your offering, we encourage everyone to use e-transfer if possible, but if you prefer to give it in person, we ask that you leave your offering in the offering plate that you will find at the check-in desk as you enter. Services will be shorter than our usual length and there will be no congregational singing allowed. The worship leader is the only one permitted to sing. Masks must continue to be worn throughout the entirety of the service. 
Washrooms will be available during the service for one individual at a time in each one and a volunteer will guide you to the washroom and monitor their use. Once in your seats, we ask that you remain there for the entirety of the service, other than to use the washroom. There will be no services for children available, however, the children's lesson will still be posted on the website and on the EPC Kids Facebook page. We suggest bringing a device and headphones for them so that they can watch their own lesson during the adult sermon portion of the service. Please note that use of the nursery will not be available to anyone. When the service is over, we ask you to remain seated until the volunteers dismiss your row, working from back to front. You will be directed to exit through the doors closest to the sound booth. This will be the only exit door. Again, we ask that you exit the building without any visiting in the foyer and move to your cars as soon as possible. Once you have left the building, you will not be permitted to re-enter for a forgotten item until everyone has vacated. So as you can see, there are many changes in order to comply with Halton Region bylaws and to keep you safe. But we do hope to see you in person. That's it everyone. God bless.
today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 2 to 9. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Sintaish to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Hello everyone. You have likely heard or even used the phrase on the same page. Now, the origin of this phrase is sometimes attributed to singing in a choir, where all the singers needed to be singing on the same page. It's also possible that it originated in classes or meetings where everyone had to be reading the same page to understand what was being discussed. Perhaps you, like me, have been in a meeting, a document's in front of you, someone's talking about something, and you say, excuse me, can you tell me what page we're on? Trying to get on the same page. Being on the same page is a phrase that means being in agreement, working in unity, sharing common goals. We see this evidenced in the church from its very inception on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. And we see this very thing encouraged all throughout the remainder of the New Testament. Unity on the same page. I believe that we are living in polarizing times, when it's difficult for people to be on the same page. Whether it's a global pandemic, whether it's civil unrest, whether it's politics, whether it's religious views, our world is far from being on the same page. Instead, our world is immersed in fear, in anxiety, in frustration, anger, and mistrust. The present reality in our world is shaping what we are saying. It's shaping how we are responding. It's shaping our opinions and our ideas. And so believe me when I say that the church is not immune from what is being experienced in society as a whole. The challenge for the church is how to truly be the church when we have limited access to our buildings, when we have modified worship services, when we have few opportunities to build community, when we've had to suspend the majority of our programs. May I suggest today that being the church that Jesus has called us to be begins by getting on the same page. It begins by putting our differences aside. It begins by putting our personal preferences and opinions aside. 
and focusing on what is most important. So you might ask, what is it exactly that is the most important? Well, in Philippians 4, verses 2 to 9, which is our scripture for today, the Apostle Paul calls what is most important the cause of the gospel. The cause of the gospel. Now, Jesus would call it the kingdom of God, and it's the same thing. The gospel is the kingdom of God. In this passage, Paul addresses a conflict between two people. He addresses the impact of this conflict on a congregation, and he presents to them the desired alternative to their conflict. And we're going to see today that the church accomplishes its mission when followers of Jesus resolve their differences, lay aside their personal preferences, and focus instead on the kingdom of God. The first thing I want us to see from our passage today is conflict. Epaphroditus was sent by the church in Philippi to bring Paul a monetary gift to bring uh, the provision of care and support, and he most likely brought news of what was happening in the church back home. It was a good chance for Paul to catch up on everything that was happening. There was a situation back home between two prominent women in the church, Iodia and Syndicate. Now, there seems to be a disagreement between them that has been going on for quite some time. The name Iodia means sweet fragrance. The name Syndicate means pleasant. And so clearly neither of these women are living up to their names. The problem is a clash of personalities, a difference of opinion. And their issue is affecting the church as a whole. In an ideal church environment, there would be mutual love, mutual forgiveness, mutual support. But this issue is reflecting the opposite. And so Paul said that in the past, they had worked with him, these two women, together, side by side, for the cause of the gospel. Their cooperation helped the gospel advance in the past, but their disunity is now harming the gospel in the present. These are influential leaders. There was potential here to impact the unity of the congregation as a whole. The situation is serious enough, it's gone on long enough, that Paul is actually calling them out publicly in this letter that was intended to be read out loud to the whole congregation. He doesn't say which one of them was in the wrong. That wasn't his intent. Both of them are called to resolve the conflict. Paul is pleading. He's begging them to agree with each other, to get on the same page even though they have differing opinions, they need to find a way to live in harmony. Clearly, they have not been able to resolve their conflict on their own. So Paul asks the members of the church, can you help them? Can you come alongside? Can you help these women resolve their conflict, restore the harmony, and reconcile their differences? Secondly, we see impact. After calling out these women publicly, after soliciting the help of the congregation as a, as a whole to get involved to help them, Paul then called them to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, 
rejoice. Now, at face value, we might interpret Paul's words to be, get past your conflicts, focus instead on the Lord, rejoice in him. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He was transitioning from identifying a serious church conflict to now focusing on the impact of that conflict beyond the two women and even beyond this church congregation. It was common in this culture to organize great festivals, great feasts and games, shows to celebrate the gods, to celebrate their cities, to celebrate Caesar, to draw attention to what mattered most to the people through public displays. The word rejoice that Paul used here means to call a public celebration. Paul is saying to them, call a public celebration. I say it again, call a public celebration. Well, for what purpose? Why? To let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, this sentence properly translated means this, to yield one's personal rights for the benefit of another person or group. Paul is reminding them that their faith in Jesus Christ was on display for all the world to see. People in that culture knew who the followers of Jesus were. They knew what they claimed to represent. They were being watched by all those around them. And Paul was showing them that their current behavior was setting a bad example for unbelievers. The impact of their conflict had potential to hurt the cause of the gospel, the kingdom of God, outside of this congregation. Their lives were on display. And so Paul urged them to use the truth to draw attention to what mattered most, the gospel of Jesus Christ, not their personal preferences. He reminded them, the Lord is near. Now, there are two meanings to this. The first is, the Lord is with you. Therefore, this shouldn't be a problem. If the Lord is with you, why are you bickering? But secondly, Jesus coming is near. And he's saying, we want to reach people before Jesus comes. So don't ruin it with your petty personal conflicts and opinions. How they were behaving was affecting them, their church, and society. Thirdly, alternative. In the final section, Paul deals with the alternative to conflict, which is peace. He uses the phrase, the peace of God, and he also uses the phrase, the God of peace. The truth is, the peace of God comes from the God of peace. But how? Well, Paul outlined three areas of importance for experiencing peace versus conflict. The first was prayer. Anxiety was a way of life for many in Paul's time. There were many gods, and it seemed that they were all out to get you. Something bad was always waiting to happen. And so people attributed their hardships to the gods. They blamed the gods. And as a result, people tried to appease the gods, to bring favor to the gods so that bad things wouldn't happen to them. Well, this created significant anxiety for people. In contrast, for followers of Jesus, 
God cared about them. He cared about their problems. He cared about their concerns. He was there with them through the struggles. Life would be filled with struggles, but God's going to be with you. They could go to God in prayer and they could present their request. And Paul says they can experience the peace of God from the God of peace in the midst of their hardship. So prayer. Secondly, attitude. The peace of God comes to those who have learned to focus on the good things that God provides rather than focusing on the negative things on anxiety. So Paul instructed them to shift their focus away from the things that created anxiety and instead focus on what God had given them. Truth, not fear. Things that are worthy of respect, not a poor witness. Promote justice for all, not focusing on your own personal rights. Things that are morally pure, focus on those rather than serving the flesh. Focus on gentleness and kindness versus anger and rudeness. Things that are worthy and worth being heard, not things that are spoken in selfishness. Paul said that focusing on these things would positively affect their attitude, resulting in the peace of God. And thirdly, actions. Who they were as followers of Jesus was the product of what they had been taught, the truth that they had heard, the things that they had witnessed with their own eyes, the truths that they had made a part of their own lives. Paul challenged them to put these things into practice, to commit to them, to live them out, to let others see them in their lives. What Paul was saying is this, let the witness of your life do the talking. Let the witness of your life do the talking. When they were living in freedom of who they had become in Jesus, they would know the peace of God and they would know the God of peace and they would set a great example. There are three applications that I would like to draw from our scripture today. The first, Christians. Wherever there are people, the potential for conflict exists. Conflict within the church community is a reality. There are differing personalities. There are opposing opinions. There are multiple ways of doing things. There are personal preferences and responses. Conflict may be based on how people are treated, the perception of what someone might be doing. The issue is not if there will be conflict, that's a given. The issue is if we are committed to resolving it and how we are committed to resolving it. When there is conflict between people in a community of faith, we're not living up to our name, the name Christian. Now, I want to be honest with you this morning. I'm not really fond of the name Christian because of what the world has interpreted it to mean, because of the example that many of us have set within the context of being a Christian. In the book of Acts, it really meant something special. In Acts 11:26, it says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. They were called Christians because their behavior, their activity, and their speech was like Jesus. The word Christian means follower of Christ or belonging to the party of Christ. When there is unresolved conflict in our lives, when there is 
unresolved conflict in the church community, our behavior, our activity, and our speech is not Christian because it's not like Jesus. Furthermore, it impacts the whole church community. The love, the forgiveness, the support for one another, which defines the body of Jesus, is missing when there's conflict. It's important to see that even though we are individuals, we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. We are a community. A community that has worked together, that has celebrated together, that has sacrificed together, that mourns together. We're often concerned about who is right. But the truth is, it's not about who is right or who is wrong. It's about finding a way to resolve our conflict and put our focus back where it belongs. If we can't do it on our own, Jesus has placed us in his body so we can do it together. I believe the spiritual depth of any church community is not measured by how passionately we worship, how passionately we preach, or how passionately we pray, but how passionately we love and treat each other. Secondly, neighborhood watch. Like it or not, our lives are on display for others to see. Our spouses, our children, our families, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our fellow church members, the world as a whole. Every day, how we live out our lives is communicating what we value, who we value, our priorities, and our passions. When we get it right, great things are accomplished for the kingdom of God. But when we get it wrong, great damage can be done. I believe to my core that the greatest acts of evangelism, the greatest moments of witnessing, are not found in the words that we speak, but in the lives that we live. We must remember that no one sins alone. Our families, our friends, others around us are directly affected by our behavior. And so for that reason, it's important to heed the reminder of Paul that faith is meant to be lived on display. It's important what we are communicating with our lives. I believe it's important for the world to see that we are not perfect. We fail. We make mistakes, poor choices. There are moments that we behave inappropriately. I think it's important that the world know that. But what makes us different as Christians is our commitment to live like Jesus, to sincerely repent when things are different than they should be, and get up when we fall down and let Jesus help us get it right the next time. How we resolve conflict between us is significantly important for the world to observe. Jesus said they, the world, will know that we belong to him by our love for one another. We're being watched and it's important to get it right because there's a lot at stake. Thirdly, and finally, peace in the storm. We live in a very stormy world, a world that is broken, 
that is filled with conflict, yet longs for peace. We live in a world filled with people who are broken, living in conflict, who long for peace. The peace that our world needs, the peace that our world longs for, can only come from the God of peace. As believers, sometimes we believe that the only way we will experience peace is for Jesus to calm the storm, to remove the painful hardship out of our lives. But the truth is, Jesus most often calms us while we are in the midst of the storm. The storm doesn't need to disappear for us to know peace. When we discover the God of peace in the midst of the storm, we experience the peace of God even though the storm rages on. It is impossible to live with unresolved conflict, anger, opposition when our prayer life is sincere. It is impossible to live with unresolved conflict, anger, and opposition, when our attitude is rooted in focusing on the things in our lives that come from God. It's impossible to live with unresolved conflict, anger, and opposition when we're truly living the way Jesus has called us to live. Sometimes we make room for unresolved conflicts within our Christian lives, but the truth is both can't coexist. One is destroying the other. When we focus on prayer, being grateful for the wonderful things that God has provided, and living as we should, the peace of God comes into our lives from the God of peace. In conclusion today, the church accomplishes its mission when followers of Jesus resolve their differences, lay aside their personal preferences, and focus instead on the kingdom of God. The spiritual depth of any church community is not measured by how passionately we worship, preach, or pray, but how passionately we love and treat each other. The greatest acts of evangelism, the greatest moments of witnessing, are not found in the words we speak, but in the lives we live. When we discover the God of peace in the midst of the storm, we experience the peace of God, even though the storm rages on. Folks, the church accomplishes its mission when followers of Jesus resolve their conflicts, lay aside their personal preferences, and focus instead on the kingdom of God. It's time for us to get on the same page.
Thank you for joining us this morning. Our prayer is that something from this service has meant something to you, has touched your life in a meaningful way. If it has, would you let us know? We'd love to hear from you. If we can help you in any way, please let us know that too. We're here to serve you as best we can. Until we meet again, may God bless you, watch over you, protect you, and have a great week. God bless you.